Hello, I'm Michael Apple. I'd like to take you along on this audio journey into the second state capture report, this time dealing with Donnell. Much like the other reports, it's incredibly detailed, but this is a breakdown of how our state arms manufacturer was gutted and captured by the Guptas and their associates. Just as background, between 2005 and 2010, Donnell was a loss-making enterprise, but from 2011 to 2015, the state-owned entity turns things around and was making a profit every year. By 2015, Donnell's financial position had improved so much it was actually being praised in Parliament and in the media. The board was providing oversight and effective direction, and Donnell even received a clean and unqualified audit from the Auditor General that year. Then, the Guptas got involved. Or more, they'd been trying to get involved several years before that. So our starting point of the Gupta's involvement is actually 2012. In January of that year, Riaz Saluji is appointed as the new group chief executive at Donnell. Saluji isn't in that role long when someone comes knocking. He gets approached by a man called Salim Essa, a well-known Gupta lieutenant, who invites Saluji to a meeting. He's told this invitation comes from the very top. Saluji ignores Essa for a while, but finally relents and meets him at a coffee shop. Essa then drives him from the coffee shop to what Brian Malefe would call the Saxon World Shabin, the palatial corruption HQ the Guptas would insist people come to see them at. People were summoned more than invited. At this first meeting at the Guptas compound is Public Enterprises Minister at the time, Malusi Gigaba, Tony and Atul Gupta. It's here where Gigaba tells Saluji the Guptas are his friends and he hopes that they can all work together. At a second meeting at the Guptas' home, Saluji meets Dudizane Zuma, the son of the then head of state, and one of Ace Mahushule's sons. Mahushule was the premier of the Free State at the time. Salim Esa himself, of course, is there and tells Saluji that the Guptas supported his appointment as GCEO at Donnell and that they, the Guptas, had the full support of, quote, the old man and of number one, obviously a term that refers to Jacob Zuma. It's here where Esa tells him that the Guptas want to do business with Donnell. Saluji's response, according to the report, is he tells them they'll have to go through the proper business channels. From my experience of covering state capture over the years, this is quite a career-limiting move by Saluji, as you'll see later on. In the subsequent meetings with the Guptas in 2012, Tony Gupta tells Saluji he's not cooperating with them and that he didn't want to have to elevate this kind of behavior. That's a veiled threat to either work with them or they'd complain to Jacob Zuma. Tony Gupta would also moan to Saluji that Donnell wasn't supporting their media enterprise, the New Age newspaper, sufficiently through advertising or buying subscriptions. Other SOEs were pouring millions into their newspaper venture. Remember the testimony of former cabinet spokesperson Temba Moseko that the Guptas wanted 600 million in government advertising diverted just to their newspaper? When Moseko refused, he was out of a job not long after. So Saluji clearly knows what's at stake here. But he maintains that proper processes had to be followed if the Guptas wanted to do business with Donnell. The Guptas needed to get into the industry, so they turned their gaze on a well-known, well-run, well-respected company in the industry called VR Laser. 
It was a functioning company that was used as a vehicle through which the Guptas would achieve their capture of Dinell. Now, regarding all these meetings, the report says that, quote, There is no doubt that the Guptas brought Gigaba to these meetings to show Saluji that Gigaba was a mere tool in their hands, a dupe who would do their bidding and from whom Saluji could expect no protection, close quote. The same way Dudizane was used at meetings. He'd sit there silently but be an ever-present reminder that anyone's non-cooperation would see them being reported to daddy. The Guptas even introduced Saluji to one Daniel Mancha, a man who'd be appointed as the Danell board chairperson in 2015. One thing about Mancha though, he was a former attorney of record for former President Jacob Zuma. He'd actually been struck off the role of attorneys in about 2007 for alleged dodgy dealings involving his trust account and clients' money being unaccounted for. They introduced Saluji to Mancha before his appointment to that very powerful position had even been made public. They clearly knew something nobody else did. This is, of course, a hallmark or a pattern that follows where the Guptas always knew in advance when changes would be made to cabinet, begging the question who was actually calling the shots, Zuma at the Union Buildings or the Guptas from Saxonwald through Zuma at the Union Buildings. In May 2014, Malusi Gigaba is replaced as Public Enterprises Minister by Lynn Brown. Saluji's relationship with Brown was good. Why wouldn't it be? In 2015, Donnell's order book was singing to the tune of 35 billion rand, with 200 million rand in net profit that year. In her address to Donnell's AGM in late July 2015, she praised Saluji, even suggesting he be seconded to ESCOM to go help them out there. Zondo's report makes the point that Brown's comments are ironic, as a mere two months later, Saluji and two other officials are suspended by the new Donnell board under very strange circumstances. They're never given a disciplinary hearing in nine months of suspension. They're offered payouts if they just leave. They opted to stay and try and clear their names of these dubious allegations of fraud and malfeasance. But ultimately they were pushed out of Denel, with Saluji receiving a 2.6 million rand settlement agreement. The chief financial officer received a payout of 8.4 million rand to go. And the company's secretary, the third person suspended, was given a 1.6 million rand payout to just go away. One of Lynn Brown's first big moves at Denel was to replace the entire board in September 2015. All except for one person actually, Johannes Motseki. He's a former treasurer of the Mkontowe Siswe Military Veterans Association, the MKMVA. And he's a Gupta business partner from 2010 already in a uranium mining venture called Shiva Uranium. That's right. The Guptas were actually mining uranium. It makes you think twice about why Zuma's government pushed so hard to get us involved in a trillion rand nuclear deal with Russia, doesn't it? Who would have benefited the most from a deal like that? A family that just happened to be mining uranium, I wager. So the new board is said to have no skills or expertise. The previous board had accountants, a person with anti-corruption expertise, academics in the fields of economic and management sciences, technology, lawyers, 
All of these people were cut, except for the one person who had existing business ties with the Guptas. Brown would also do something extraordinary. She announced the names of the new Audit and Risk Committee, a committee normally chosen by the board itself and not the minister. The report here notes that Brown also explicitly excluded appointing deputy directors general or DDGs from the board. Brown says it was because DDGs were too close to decision makers within SOEs and ironically she was acting to stop any corrupt activity. But Zondo's report finds that this excuse is ludicrous. Quote, she excluded them, the DDGs, because they could raise questions about the candidates that the Guptas wanted to be appointed. This is how keen she was to please the Guptas. Close quote. Brown had done this before, actually. She had once called former ESCOM board chair Zola Tsotsi to the Guptas' compound to instruct him on which people to place on one of the committees on the ESCOM board. The list that Tsotsi was given carried the exact same names he'd earlier received from Salim Essa. The report notes that Tsotsi appears to have had some relationship with the Guptas, but when that soured, he was replaced by Dr. Benengubane, yet another person with links to the Guptas. Brown's composition of the 2015 board at Donnell would first go before the deployment committee of the ANC. The report makes the observation that, quote, the deployment committee of the ANC approved a board which consisted of a majority of members who were connected to the Guptas, close quote. Donnell's board chairperson, the disgraced attorney Daniel Muncher, was asked by the state capture inquiry why the Guptas paid for his trips to India and Dubai in October 2015. Muncher gave no logical explanation, and the report finds that, quote, the conclusion is irresistible. The overseas travel was quid pro quo for Muncher's services in effecting the capture of Donnell, close quote. As for Mr. Muncher, the report says he was not duped into acting as he did. He was a witting agent of state capture. Now back to VR Laser and Denel for a second. The report highlights that the Guptas were never prepared to compete for Denel's business. Not fairly, anyway. So they used their purchase of VR Laser as a means to get in the door after loading the board with their henchmen. The Guptas' plans went beyond just scoring unlawful tenders from Donnell. On 9 December 2015, National Treasury officials meet with Donnell executives to discuss a recent announcement the SOE was entering into a joint venture with VR Laser Asia. The sole shareholder in that company is, surprise, surprise, Salim Essa. It was a shell company registered in Hong Kong with zero proven track record, but was set to make billions if the JV was approved. A joint venture of this nature, looking to exploit markets in Asia and the Pacific, needed Treasury and Public Works approval. It had neither. Seemingly a stumbling block to not only this deal, but also the nuclear deal, was Finance Minister Nklantlanene. That very day, the 9th of December 2015, he's fired by Zuma and replaced by weekend special Des van Royen. Just as an aside, Van Royen is looking to challenge the state capture inquiry report, by the way. Van Royen is in office for only four days, in which time Donnell sought to rush that joint venture approval process through. 
but luckily Van Royen was removed faster than the creaky wheels within government could turn. As for Public Enterprises Minister Lynn Brown, Brown testified before the state capture inquiry that she did not know, nor had she ever spoken to Salim Essa before. But pesky cell phone records found she actually had eight telephone conversations with him. Another 12 calls were actually put through to Brown's number by Essa, but she didn't pick up. All the calls happened between the periods where new, rather Gupta-compliant boards were being installed at ESCOM and Donnell. The report states, quote, Brown was a witting participant in the Gupta scheme to capture Donnell and ESCOM, close quote. In its recommendations, the report states that it cannot be left to politicians, or the ANC's deployment committee in other words, to choose who is placed on boards of SOEs, or who becomes chief executive or chief financial officer at state-owned entities. The report says law enforcement agencies should conduct further investigations into the decisions of that 2015 Denal board, especially in relation to the unlawful suspension of those three executives and their subsequent payouts. As for Mancha, the Companies Act makes provision for someone to be declared a delinquent director, and it urges government to bring such action against Mancha and the board members. Interestingly, abuse of power is not a criminal offence, but Zondo's report also asks that government consider making it a statutory offence for any person vested with public power to abuse it. So this, in essence, is the recipe for how you capture an SOE. You find a state-owned entity that has just received a clean audit that is profitable, and you get rid of the board. You have a pliable minister in place to strong-arm executives who put up a fight. You suspend those executives. You give them millions in payouts, but you make them go away. You buy a company, VR Laser in this case, that was already doing work for Donnell, and you enter into several exclusive contracts with the SOE. Those tenders are rigged in your favor, completely unlawful, but it'll see millions transferred out of a functioning SOE into the hands of the Guptas and their associates. That money is siphoned out of South Africa, designated for shell companies in Dubai and Hong Kong. Or you use the taxpayers' money from these giant payouts to purchase other entities you then force the state to do business with. Rinse and repeat. Thanks for listening. 